We're going to continue our series this morning entitled Twisted, Commonly Misused Verses. And I I have not made it a goal, but I think I've made it a habit of ruining some of the meanings of some of the most common verses that we know. Now, how often do we quote something or probably more accurately misquote it and cling to a truth in Scripture only to find out that is not what the verse says, and sometimes that's not even what the Bible teaches. And so we've looked at a, a couple of verses already this, this uh, series, and this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there and put your finger in it. This morning's message is entitled, More Than You Can Bear. Now, how many of you have gone through an especially difficult time in your life, struggling, and have someone come beside you and put their arm around you and give you this beautiful encouragement? You'll get through this. God never gives you more than you can handle. Or maybe you've done that. Someone's really hurting, and they're they're just in a dark time of life, and you come beside them, and, and you remember that verse. You know, the Lord will never give you more than you can bear. It's especially comforting to say those words, but can I, can I be honest today? I've never been especially comforted to hear those words. In my darkest times of life, when I've struggled the most, when I've had people come beside me and say, God won't give you more than you can bear. Can I admit to you this morning that sometimes I, I think I don't think I've ever said, but I often think it sure feels like this is more than I can bear. I I know you're telling me God doesn't do that, but but this feels like it right now. I'm I'm at the bottom, and I cannot pick myself up. Those words, quite honestly, have never brought me comfort. Now, I, I love the spirit of people who have wanted to share that uplifting time with me, especially because they're... Their knowledge is rooted in in a teaching that they have that is tied to a Bible verse, and I'm thankful that their heart is encouragement. But if we're honest with ourselves, at our deepest and darkest moments of life, it's more than what we can bear. And we want to cling to the passage of Scripture. We want to cling to that promise, God won't give you more than you can bear, but, but we fail to live that promise out. Can I tell you this morning, I, I, I know why we fail to live that promise out. That's because that sentiment is not in Scripture. Now, there's a verse we're going to look at this morning, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. As a matter of fact, we're going to read it. And as soon as we read it, I know the specific nuance of that verse. Knowing that we misuse it is going to jump out of the page. And if it doesn't, we're going to unfold it this morning. But let's read 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which is where this idea comes from. God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can bear. Let's read it together and see if, now that we've had a few weeks of reading Scripture and and trying to gain what God's teaching us, see if we can find the specific nuance of this verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Have you picked it up this morning, what this verse is really saying? 
Does this verse anywhere say God will not give you circumstances that you cannot handle? Is that what this verse says anywhere? We don't have a very lively crowd this morning. You guys are hungover from the concert, right? No, that's not what this verse says at all, right? No, it says no temptation has overtaken you. God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. There's a specific nuance to this verse that we want to ignore and throw out because it feels good to tell someone God won't give you more than you can bear. You know, there are some misquoted verses or, or some verses that are taken out of context, some twisted verses that we have looked at that, that teach a biblical truth, but just not from that passage, right? The, the passage itself says something else. For instance, last week, we looked at the passage of Scripture that says, where two or three are gathered in my name, then I will be there also. It, we use that to teach a specific truth that says if two or more are gathered together in worship or in prayer, God's presence is there. That is a true statement, but that's not what that verse means, right? Well, we can learn that from other places in Scripture, but that verse was not talking about a specific corporate worship gathering. There are other verses that we take and twist for our own benefit. So the first week we looked at Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper. And we take that for our own personal here and now benefit instead of seeing the big picture that God wants to, to make us prosper eternally. God wants our benefit for, for forever, not for the here and the now always. But then there are some verses, and I think this is one of them, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and that not only do we twist for our own benefit, it's not that we've just merely taught a biblical truth from the wrong passage, but sometimes we teach a flat-out lie and tie it to Scripture. If you take notes, and I hope you do, jot down in your bulletin, write, write this down. This is important. God will give you more than you can handle. And if you don't have a bulletin, write that down somewhere. God will give you more than you can handle. This morning's message is actually not about this, but we misuse this verse so much, I have to spend just a couple of minutes explaining to you how we've misused and abused this verse. Not only does it not say he won't give you more than you can handle, I think scripture teaches the opposite. Now, let's back up a little bit. Who knows the author of 1 Corinthians? Does anybody shout it out if you do? And if you don't, someone else will tell you. Who, who wrote 1 Corinthians? Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote much of the New Testament. He's writing this letter to the Corinthian church. This is his first of two letters in Scripture to the Corinthian church. 1 and 2 Corinthians. Paul has endured a lot even up to this point. But especially as he gets ready to write his second letter to the Corinthians, he has gone through a ton. As a matter of fact, he, he writes to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this introduction. Listen to what he says. For I don't want you to be aware, this is 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Listen to his affliction. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Does this sound to you like Paul is saying, I have a burden. We have experienced a burden beyond what we can bear. 
It's beyond our strength. We can't handle it. We were so down in the dumps that we despise life itself. As a matter of fact, we find Paul writing in in other places to other churches that that he wishes to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Oh, how great it would be if God would just take him out of this burdensome life. And of course, he says, God has me here for a purpose and for a reason, and I will be faithful to God. But it's an admission, right? Life often comes with burdens beyond our strength. There is a purpose to what God puts in our life. There's a purpose to the burden. There's a purpose to the the struggle. And and Paul, in the second half of verse 9, makes that abundantly clear. This is so important to read. So he says, we were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despise life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received a sentence of death For what purpose? But that was to make us rely, not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. Paul says, there's a purpose behind the struggle. God has given me more than I can handle so that I won't rely on my strength. I have to rely on His strength. So I'm saying this not because this morning's message is on this, but it's so important that we grasp. And for some of you, this is where you'll stop this morning. The rest of it, while, while you'll hear it, this is what you'll focus on because this is where God has you, right? God may give you, no, God will give you circumstances that are beyond your strength for the express purpose that you will rely not on yourself, but on Him. This is a warning in a sense, but it's a glorious promise. A promise that in the struggle, there is strength that's just not your own. In the valley, there is God's presence to lift you up. And in the worst times of life, when everything is beyond what you can handle and what you can bear, God is there. This morning, my my hope is that those of us gathered here from this point on, we'll not misquote this verse and put our arms around a, a, a non-believer or even a, a Christian and grab them and say, God will not give you more than you can handle because that's just going to make them feel worse. Instead, can we teach them the glorious truth? God has given you this burden because there's something great He wants to teach you. There's something amazing He wants to do. He, he wants to, to make you rely on Him more and And the glorious truth is that he's there with you. So that's not the message this morning, but boy, is it a powerful thing to think on. Instead, I want to focus on this particular verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is specifically, of course, talking about temptation, things that that attack us and, and tempt us. Paul's been writing to the Corinthian Christians up to this point about the dangers of being arrogant and overly confident in their ability to resist temptation. What had happened is is this new church was formed in Corinth with these new believers in Christ with a a dark background. Praise the Lord, they were saved out of idolatry and drunkenness and gluttony. They were saved out of a a lifestyle that that we would look at even today as as, uh, just horrific. God has rescued them but just because he has rescued them 
from their sins, that does not mean that the sin of the culture around them does not persist. As a matter of fact, what we find is, is there's still a lot of things going on all throughout Corinth that these new Christians have to battle and struggle with. And they decided somewhere along the road that while they were believers in Christ and did not believe in the false gods and did not want to partake in the drunkenness and the immorality, they still wanted their nightlife. They still wanted to have fun. They still wanted to to go and do the things of the culture. And so Paul takes some time explaining to them, you know, those idols are nothing. They they mean nothing. You can't worship them truly because they're not gods. You have some freedom and some flexibility. There is liberty in Christ, but it is a dangerous, dangerous thing to play with that liberty and to put yourself in positions where temptation is great. Because while you believe you have the strength to resist temptation, your weaker brother does not, and they go along with you and fall into sin. Where you think you have the ability to resist temptation, you do for a while until you're so surrounded by the temptation that you eventually succumb. And, and over and over and over again, Paul is warning them, you must be careful to flee away from this temptation. Stay away. You have freedom in Christ to be sure. Don't abuse it. Don't put yourself in positions that make it harder. And so he, he talks to them about warnings in his, his own life. He tells them he's set aside his own liberty for the sake of the gospel. He gives examples in the Old Testament of the people of Israel who, who did not flee from immorality, became like the culture around them, and time and time again sinned. He says, look back at their example. Don't be like them. And then he, he comes into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and he starts to give them some good news about this temptation. He says, you don't have to give in to it. It doesn't have a hold on you anymore. Paul really starts in verse 13 by reminding them that, that everyone is tempted. Every single individual has temptation. He, he wants us to understand that temptation in and of itself comes to all people. And maybe you've struggled with this, right? Right? Maybe there's a a particular temptation that that pops into your mind. Maybe it's a lustful thought. Maybe it's a covetous heart, wanting something that's not yours. And over and over and over again, this temptation comes and and greed or or malice or anger, and and you want to push it aside, but you just can't. And you beat yourself up. Like, God, why am I struggling with this? I don't want to do that, but it, it keeps popping into my head over and over and over and over again. Paul reminds us, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Paul says this is a common thing. We're all tempted. Every last one of us. That, that lust in your mind, that covetousness in your heart, that, that greed you have, that anger you hold on to, that is something that we all, Paul includes himself as a human, we all experience We all struggle. Everyone is tempted. You are not alone. So nobody in here then can say, my temptation is different. You you don't understand how it pulls at me in in this way. If you only had to deal with the temptation I have, Paul blows that out of the water. He says, no, it's not. You've not received any temptation that everybody else doesn't also experience. It's hard, right? It's hard for you. And it's hard for me. 
And it's hard for your brother, and it's hard for your sister. It's hard for all of us. You're not alone in your temptation. Oh, your circumstances may be different. Your, your, your temptations may be slightly different. But the basic temptation, the, the basic understanding that we all have something that pulls at us is the same for all people. It's comforting to know that you're not alone in the temptation you struggle with. I think it's also important to realize that if, if everyone is tempted, all of humanity, it's common to, to all people, it's a reminder then that temptation itself is not sin. So, so struggling with temptation does not damage your relationship with the Father. And here's how I know this. First of all, we know this because everyone experiences temptation. It does not go away when we become a Christian. And this is an important truth because there's a lot of things we get freed from as Christians, right? We are no longer slaves to sin. We're free from it. We're no longer in bondage to the flesh, but we still experience temptation. God has not removed that from the Christian life. If, if we were free from temptation, it would be included in there. And you no longer even have a desire to sin. You've already completed that portion of your life. Congratulations, you're perfect. Instead, we get over and over and over again. Everyone sins. If you say that you don't have sin, you're a liar, and the truth of God doesn't live in you. We all make mistakes. We're all tempted. We all experience this. The temptation is not what the sin is. We also know this because there was one particular human being in all of human history who did not sin, and that was Jesus Christ. And we know from Luke chapter 4 that Jesus was sent out to the desert for the specific purpose to be tempted. That Satan threw darts at him. And let me tell you, Satan may go easy on your temptation. You may think it's difficult, but if there was anyone in all of history that the devil wanted to see fall into sin, it was Jesus. Well, he experienced it more than what you did, I promise. No temptation has seized us except that which is common to man, including Jesus himself, which means your temptation is not a sin. However, I think it's worth noting that temptation, although not sinful and although very common, temptation is extremely dangerous. It is not to be played with. Just because everybody experiences it or everybody's doing it, right? Just because it's common, and it's not sinful, doesn't mean it doesn't cause danger. I like to think of it like a fire. Right? Last Wednesday night, some of the youth gathered together, had made s'mores, had a bonfire, and, and they were generally safe, I think it's safe to say. Nobody got burned, right? Um, they had a good time out there, is that right? I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was a good thing that came from the fire. But let us not lose sight of the fact that fire is dangerous, right? I mean, there are things that are okay about it, maybe even beneficial to it, but that doesn't change the fact that, that if you play with fire, you will get burned. That's temptation, right? Oh, we can grow through that. God uses that to teach us and make us cling to Him, but let's not lose sight of the fact that it's fire that we play with when we, when we entertain tempting thoughts. This is not a, a everybody's doing it, don't worry, it's common, just forget about it. This is a reminder that we all struggle with this fire. That we must stay as far away as we can. 
Satan's greatest weapon against us is a temptation to sin. And so anyone who looks and says, the devil made me do it, is lying. We sin on our own. But it is a true statement that the devil told me to do it. That's not a lie. We all experience the struggle of temptation. And we must be aware that the temptation is there. But the good news that comes in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is that in Christ, you do not have to give in to that temptation. You do not have to sin. This is where our freedom comes in. And this is where the beauty of this verse takes over. Let's read this, this passage again, this first part of the verse in verse 13. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Can we just stop for a minute and appreciate the first three words of this portion of the verse? God is faithful. Notice Paul does not write, but you'll be faithful. He doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, he says you're going to be tempted and you've already messed up. But God, God is faithful. Oh, you're struggling with temptation and, and you want to give in to sin? Don't try to overcome it on your own strength. You will fail. You are not faithful. But God is faithful. Our reliance on overcoming temptation has nothing to do with whether we're disciplined enough. It has nothing to do with whether we've read the Bible enough. It has nothing to do with whether we strive hard enough or we're strong enough. It has everything to do with the fact that in Christ, God is faithful. I love that part of this verse. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. This is the way I picture this verse. And really, I tie it kind of to to Job where where God and the devil kind of have a conversation with each other. I don't know that this is really how it happens, but but how I picture it is, is the devil going up and saying, I know I can get Pastor Trey to fall. I know all the things to throw at him, and I know he'll fall. And God looking at him and saying, you know, if he did those things, he would, because he doesn't have enough strength. But just as God limited the devil in the book of Job, only do this to Job. God is in control of even how much he allows Satan to tempt me. God looks and he says, I will not let you be tempted beyond your ability in Christ to overcome. I'm so thankful for that. You know how encouraging it is to know that I would mess things up on my own, in my own strength. But God is faithful. He protects. He's got a, a wall around me that says, the darts will come, but it won't be more. The temptation won't be more than your ability in Christ to overcome. Listen to this promise he follows it up with. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There are times in this fallen world where we have two choices and both choices seem wrong. I don't know how many times I've talked and prayed with someone. If I do this, this circumstance happens and it's bad. If I do that, that circumstance happens and it's bad. What's the right thing to choose? Both of them seem sinful. And there are times that I look at them and I say, in a fallen world, and this is the truth, in a fallen world, no matter what choice we make, we're going to have a bad circumstance or a bad consequence. But the promise is we can make the right moral choice and accept those bad consequences. God will not give us two decisions to sin and make us choose. 
there's always a way to escape. In Christ. Listen how important this this word is here. But with the temptation, he will also provide... now, Now pay close attention to the article, you English people here. He will also provide the way of escape. Now I'll go ahead and admit to you that in the Greek, the word a and the often are interchangeable. There's just one that matters one way or another, but, but through the context of what Paul is writing, I think it's appropriate that we interpret it to be the way, not a way. Now, some translations may say a, that's not inappropriate, but I love this because I believe the context teaches. God does not provide you a choice to escape. No, God provides you the way of escape. There's one and only one way to overcome temptation. As a matter of fact, Jesus uses this same terminology when he tells us about our own salvation from sin, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How are we going to overcome temptation? In our own strength? No, we will fail. How are we going to overcome temptation with our discipline and our hard work? No, we're unfaithful. But God is faithful. God will protect us. God does not force us into sinful situations. God provides not just one of many ways, but he provides the way to overcome. And that way is Christ. In Christ, you no longer have to sin. Can you, in theory, live a perfect life from this moment on? The answer is, in Scripture, according to what we read, yes, in theory, you can There is no excuse for everyone sins, everyone's tempted, everyone falls, and so I'm accepting it. Paul says you always have a choice. You always have a way to escape in Christ. We will fall over and over and over again. The practical life will remind us that we are not faithful, but God is. This morning as we think about this passage, this Temptation beyond what we can bear. Maybe there's a specific sin you struggle with today. Maybe it's a temptation that continually pops in your mind over and over and over again. And you're, you're begging and pleading, God, will you remove it from me? There's not a promise that God removes temptation, but there is a promise that God is with you and he protects you. There's a promise that you in Christ don't have to give in. This morning, maybe you've been fighting sin on your own. Maybe you've tried to to do all the right things and be a morally responsible person. Maybe, maybe you've spent your entire life trying to be good. Can we, can we just study this passage this morning and remind ourselves that there is not one of many ways. There is one way to overcome sin in our life. And this morning, God is calling you to submit to the way of salvation. To admit that you can't do it on your own, but God is faithful. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you that, first of all, you give us more than what we can handle in life's circumstances. Lord, we thank you for that because you've shown us that that pulls us to rely on you. Lord, we also thank you that that while our circumstances may be an ongoing struggle, our temptation, our desire to sin in Christ has not overcome us. We thank you that we will never be tempted in such a way that we are forced to give in when we are believers in Christ. Lord, I pray right now forgiveness in my own heart for trying to overcome sin in my own strength, for trying to be disciplined enough or good enough. Lord, Lord, let me rely on you. 
Lord, let the way of escape be my faith and trust that you are faithful, that you will lead me to overcome. And Lord, we ask for those in here today who are are fighting in their lives to be good people, to overcome their their shortcomings and their sin on their own. Lord, to, to yield to you and your salvation. To throw up their hands and say, God, you are faithful when I'm not. Lord, let them cling to the cross of Christ. Let us all cling to the cross of Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.